This episode was previously recorded for the Everything Money podcast. Due to the nature of the content, we are re-releasing this episode for listeners of Her Divorce Source with Leah Jones. Has divorce become a reality and you are asking yourself, now what? If you have questions about your new life, you're in the right place. Her Divorce Source with Leah Jones is the go-to podcast for women before, during, and after a divorce. Join me, Leah Jones, a certified divorce financial analyst at Hightower Bethesda, as I help you envision and create a new life that's full of possibilities, empowerment, and freedom. I'll tackle your concerns about lifestyle and money, giving you practical guidance you can use right away. Now let's get started. I am uh, excited about our topic today because I think it is a very relevant topic, and I think we've got some great content. So title of our topic today is military divorce and kind of what you should know, what you should be thinking about. So uh, with that being said, I'd love to introduce you Kate. Kate is a family law attorney and principal at Reese Law. And that is a family law firm based out of Fairfax, Virginia. She represents clients in Maryland and Virginia. She is a skilled litigator as well as a Virginia SC certified mediator and a trained collaborative law professional. Kate has worked with military families for over 22 years. And we have Leah Jones, who's Director of Financial Planning at Hightower Bethesda. She has been in the investment industry for 18 years and holds the Certified Financial Divorce Analyst designation. She has represented many women and men during divorce to provide advice as it relates to their finances and division of assets. So today, Kate and I want to address anyone who is considering or going through a divorce And one person in the relationship is or has been a member of the military. So in the DMV area, we have a high portion of the population that falls into this category, and it's really important to be well-informed. A civilian life can look a lot different than what you might be used to. We are gonna start with a definition of who should be thinking about this and what resources they should be gathering. We move on to discussing the pension, which has many nuances and can be a large asset. So we talk about relevant complexities, such as dividing this asset. Next, we're gonna talk about important considerations and other specific items that are often missed or overlooked related to military benefits that need to be addressed in the settlement agreement. Keep in mind, Once it's signed and completed, the settlement agreement is not easily amended. That would be true. So let's start with defining who this podcast is specifically speaking to when we say military divorce. We've got at least one person in the marriage. Take it from there. Sure, right. And so this is where I think things can get a little confusing sometimes. So at least one person in the marriage who is a part of the Army Marine Corps, Navy, Air Force, Space Force, and Coast Guard make up the armed forces of the United States. The Army National Guard and Air National Guard are reserve components of uh, their services and operate in part under state authority. So if you are not sure who has jurisdiction over your benefits, it's always good to find out. You mentioned people often get confused on state versus military divorces. Can you speak a little bit to 
help clear up that confusion? Who does what? Sure, yeah. And I think this is really relevant to the DMV area as well because we have a lot of both, right? So in general, federal employees are individuals who work for the federal government. This covers uh, politicians, judges, heads of departments such as labor and state. Federal employees can also be civilians who work government jobs in areas like law enforcement, public health, science, and engineering. So it's, it's really pretty broadly encompassing. Now, the OPM, or Office of Personnel Management, governs all these employees in terms of benefits. And it's estimated to account for about 2.1 million civilian workers. So that is the you know, civilian federal employee spectrum. Next are, I want to just kind of talk about government employees because they have different benefits. So depending on how long they have worked, they're generally covered by a pension and a TSP. So TSP is short for Thrift Savings Plan, and it's, it's similar to a 401k in concept in that the idea is you're subsidizing your own retirement by putting money away, and then the employer offers a match. But the TSP does have its own nuances. So although there are parallels with the military system, the benefits and the retirement pensions are different. So there are currently around 1. million active duty military members and around 2.19 million retirees. So again, very big systems covering a large amount of people with parallels, but, but different, very different. And we're going to go into that more here during this conversation. Now that we defined who this information is most beneficial for, let's get into some of the detail. So Kate, what are some of the documents and resources that someone going through a divorce with a military spouse needs to collect? Well, first of all, there is the leave and earnings statement, which most people think of as the pay stuff. But when it comes to the military, it contains a lot of specific detail because military are paid in different ways. Like they have a BAH, which is basic allowance for housing. They have substance allowances. They have basic pay. They have hazard duty pay if they are in Iraq or Afghanistan or someplace like that. This is all detailed on the leave and earnings statements. They also detail all the deductions, including the deductions for life insurance and for former spouse as well as for current spouses, taxes and traditional plans like TSP, Roth plans, and total contributions. So this covers a period of a month and it tells you everything about what your service member is receiving. Those monthly, but the magical, magical DD-214. And I say magical because sometimes people cannot find these things. They need to call DFAS, Defense Finance and Accounting Systems, to get it. But it's the Certificate of Release or Discharge from Active Duty. And the importance of this is that they have totaled up exactly how many months and how many days each person has served and in what capacity. So this is where the hazardous duty can be picked up or other things such as reserve. You don't get paid the same as a reserve officer as you would if you were a full-time officer. So this is the form that controls via DFAS how much money somebody's going to get in retirement. So you need to have a copy of this so that you can verify 
the information and have conversations with DFAS as needed and know what you're talking about and even share it with them. Sometimes that's faster than having them pull it up. And then after somebody's retired, which also is very common, uh, gray divorces are very common these days where people are getting divorced later and later. So there's retiree account statements and they detail gross pay, SBP costs, which is survivor benefit plans, taxable income, allotments that might be given, and they break that all down and they cover the cost of life insurance, aka SBPs, for whomever has been listed as the recipient of those. So an attorney with a background in serving the military will be familiar with all of these things and will ask you, do you have the DD-215 or DD-214? And a financial advisor who's familiar with the military will also be familiar with these forms and ask you for these forms and can assist you with getting them if that becomes problematic. But those are the basics of what you need to know as to how the finances for the military work for your individual spouse. And those are all really important pieces of information that you just mentioned. So when somebody is thinking about starting this process or if they're in the process, those are things that they should all write down and make sure that they have because that's really their roadmap. That will get them to where they need to go. Good. Now, tell us about military pension benefits. The military benefits related to pensions start accruing from the moment someone starts service how sizable can they end up being? I imagine that would depend on how long they may serve. There are a lot of considerations toward that asset. What are some things people should be thinking about as it relates to this item? Yeah, so let's just kind of start with the basics. So there are two important things to understand. So one is, what is a pension? And then two is, how much is it worth? So To start with, what is a pension? So a pension is generally an accrued benefit that is paid out once someone hits a certain age. And the onerous of that benefit is whoever offered it, right? So in this case, it's the government because we're talking about government-funded pensions. Of course, this concept relates in private industry as well, but those are progressively becoming smaller and smaller pension opportunities out there for individuals. So you know, a pension at its core provides someone with supplemental income when they go to retire. And um, there's generally an age associated with that. And it's usually around 65. A lot of pension plans are negotiating that the start time be delayed further and further because that obviously is to their advantage. Now, what's really unique about a military pension is that there is not an, a, a specific age requirement. The pension can start as soon as someone retires uh, from the military. Now, you know, it's, it is dependent on how many years they have in service. So obviously, the, the more years they have in, in service, the larger the, the pension potential is. But that's a very, very unique kind of pension structure is having the ability to access it at an earlier age. And then the other item that's important is how much is it worth, right? So another feature that is very unique to a military pension is that the military pension benefit starts accruing from the day that you start working for the military. So again, if you only work for the military for 30 days, your pension's going to be a lot different than someone that worked there for 30 years. So it's, it's still relative to the length of service that you put in. But 
a lot of places have requirements where they say, well, if you haven't worked at least five years or 10 years or 15 years, you're not eligible for the pension at all. Zero dollars and zero cents you can take from the pension. So again, this is a feature that is pretty unique to the military pension. Those are the basics. Now that you understand the basics, the question is, what is it worth? And how do you make an evaluation of your options? For example, if it's a relatively small pension amount that you would be entitled to, maybe you can use that as a negotiating point for something else that might be more meaningful today. So, you know, is it really worth a big dispute and argument that right now you'd be entitled to $5 a month at some point, you know, when your spouse retires? Or, you know, can you just kind of leverage that or use that for something else that might be helpful for you today and forego that pension amount? The other thing I think that's really important to understand is the distinction that the pension is actually looked at as an asset. So I think most of it think of it as an income, right? So okay, you get paid it, it seems like an income to me, but actually for evaluation purposes, it is considered an asset. So how you divide that asset is gonna be dependent on what that asset is valued today, not what it's valued in the future. So if your partner ends up going on to serve in the military for you know, 30 years, you got divorced early on, you're not gonna be entitled to what that person ends up accruing during those years of service, right? So I think that's kind of important to understand the distinction. It's an asset in terms of the time that you guys were married and post that it's that other person's asset slash income, but you know, it's you have to think of it as an asset, not income. So past, present, and current income can all come into play in divorce negotiations as well. And that's an important topic because you should really discuss with your attorney how judges will look at income to come up with a strategy, right? So we talked a little bit about the asset being, you know, the pension being considered an asset, and and you're going to go into more detail about that. But in terms of the income, for example, if a spouse was in the military for 30 years, but now is considering doing private contracting, and, and most times this is very typical, right? If somebody becomes a contractor after they retire or they put in a number of years of service, now they're making two to three times the amount that they were previously making, the judgment would be most likely be based off the new increased salary. So that's a consideration that people need to understand from an income perspective. Also, there are nuances depending on where you live. So Maryland and Virginia have dates that they look through to for divorce considerations, and they're not the same. So for example, Maryland, you can look at income all the way up to the divorce decree. And in Virginia, it starts that evaluation starts from the date of separation. So that's something you want to get really clear on as well with your attorney is where you live and what the income considerations would be based on where you live and when, you know, a judge would most likely end up making that evaluation because you can think whatever you want. And Kate, I'm sure you've encountered this a lot in terms of, well, I think, you know, the income consideration should be up to this date. Well, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what we think. It matters what the judge would decide. And then your job as the attorney is to provide that information and help guide you know, the clients to to hopefully come to a settlement on their own, not ultimately end up having a judge to decide. Right. That's ideal because there's a lot of times where you can 
make an exchange that will be more valuable to you than getting the pittance of a pension every year for a certain amount of time. Like you might want to buy the marital home, but would like to give the other spouse less. That's one way to do it. You can keep all of your pension. The buyout amount will be lower instead, for example. So it, it depends on what assets you want to hold and how. We certainly always advocate that people never put all their eggs in one basket. You should have money in retirement from one source or another. You should have money in retirement. It's important. I definitely advocate that as well, Kate. So we're, we're on the same page. So I talked a little bit about, you know, kind of the pension and, and what it is from a, a higher level and what are some of the considerations. But can you talk a little bit about what are some ways couples look at dividing this asset? When we have somebody who's been married a long time, they're under the 2020 rule. That means they get full benefits. They get to go to military medical facilities. They get to keep a, a military ID card. They have access to, you know, low-cost prescriptions at the military facilities. They get to go to the commissary where spaghetti is 33 cents a box. And so there's those benefits, but the health benefit, the health insurance that the military provides is not called insurance per se, although there's an arm called TRICARE. But you walk into Bethesda Naval now called Walter Reed, and you get treated by a doctor who's there. And then if you've got a few things going on, then you go down to the next floor and you see that doctor. Of course, all scheduled appointments. But the cost of health insurance is very high, especially when people are divorcing later. You know, you might have some pre-existing conditions. You may have some very active issues going on. You may want to just stay with your doctors. And so being able to stay in the military medical system is really very, very valuable to a lot of people. Um, private industry Insurance can be 1500 a month without any trouble at all for a woman or a man who is over 55 years of age. So that's significant. With the pensions, um, if it's 10 years or more, but not yet 20, DFAS will take care of sending you your check and sending your spouse their check. Otherwise, they don't get involved and it's an agreement between the parties and has to be laid out in the property settlement agreement or in the judge's order how you're going to get paid because the taxes are going to come out of one person's pay. So that has got to be computed. We do use what's called a coverture fraction, and that pertains to the dates that Leo was talking about. What is the start date? What is the end date? So part of the fraction is when the person entered service and when they ended service. And then the other part is, when did the marriage occur? And if you're in Virginia, when did the separation occur? If you're in Maryland, when did the marriage occur? When did the final order of divorce get entered? Which could be two or three years later for numerous reasons. So what makes up the coverture fraction is controlled by the law and there's not really any wiggle room if you're in a courtroom. But Parties reach agreements all the time, and they reach agreements to just call the whole thing marital. Or you get the house, I get my pension. There's a lot of people who feel very strongly about, it's my pension. I was the service, you know, I was the service person. Okay, your spouse was at home with four kids and no spouse to help them. 
they are considered by the military to have an interest without question. So the fraction is used, but again, in private agreements, you can come to whatever decisions that you want to, to divide the asset in a way that works. And it is an asset. So we have all but 11 states. We have equitable distribution and we have spousal support. As an asset, it falls under equitable distribution and it's an asset. It's not considered income for the purposes of spousal support. You don't pay yourself by getting your share of military retired pay. Okay, so the the person who's got the forms, the DD um, two fourteen, they need to give it up. You can get it anyway from DFAS, but they just need to give it up because we're going to get it anyway. It's not an option. We can't do the math without it or the math is going to be um, overstated, possibly. And then they'll want to show us the, the form to make clear to us what they received payment for. So that's important. Uh, the pensions that are smaller, five years and whatnot, yes, we can do a coverture fraction, but again, DFAS won't be involved. But is it enough, or do you want to trade it for something? And trading it might be your best choice, including getting a lump sum out of the person and putting it into some sort of retirement account so that you've got something going on that front. So that's very doable. And as you would, would see from current LESs, including the one that I referred to, military now has TSP for a savings plan. They never had that for decades upon decades. It's something that the government started, the government had CSRS and then they had FERS. And then they added the component of TSP, which is like a 401k. And so now some people say, okay, I want a little bit in my pension, which is my FERS, or my military pension, which is self-calculating, but I want to also save in my TSP. So there might be resources to barter with to get to where you want to go. So you know, as far as making deals, you just need to do what you think is right and be consulting with a financial person and an accountant because you want to make sure that the taxes get handled right. Yeah. That is very important because tax errors can be expensive errors. Very, yeah, very costly. Yes. And I, I think you and I have talked about this before, which is that it's preferable to either be able to get your pension directly from DFAS because you've been married long enough that, you know, you can get that. Um, and we, both of us agree that it's really not ideal to come to this kind of backdoors agreement where you say, okay, well, you pay me this, you know, split of it. And there's just so many things that can go wrong in that scenario and they're and they're not even bad intentioned but some of them are bad intentioned it could can go either way and yeah. it's just you don't know because it's such a future period in time like you have no idea what might happen between then and now and especially if you're kind of really dependent on it because you were mentally in a place where you weren't willing to trade it for anything then it's that much more disappointing if you ultimately don't end up getting it. So yeah, I think <laughs> I think you and I are are definitely on on agreement on that one that like look, sometimes you have to just cut your losses on something and say even though I might be entitled to that and we might agree to it conceptually right now, just logistically it's going to be a little bit too difficult in the future. So 
you know, what else in place in lieu of that would make sense? And I think if they do have other retirement assets and those can be transferred directly to you, look great. Then it's in your name. You have control over it. Plus you have the opportunity to let that asset grow for many, many, many years. And so most people would find that they would be a lot more happy with that in 20, 30 years and uh, if they, you know, invested it wisely. Yeah, just, just some important things to think about. And so I guess kind of on that point, I know I come across this all the time and I know you do as well. A, a lot of people think once the settlement is a settlement agreement is done and they've signed all the documents that they're done. But you and I know that there are always steps that meet, need to be taken to finalize everything. And especially as it relates to any financial asset that you have, right? Retirement accounts and uh, bank accounts, brokerage accounts, and then the the military pensions and benefits, et cetera. So can you talk us through through that a little bit? Well, just that for, you, you first have to know what is the total marital pot. And you have to look at things like when was when would it pay out? What would be the tax hits on that? Are there disadvantages to pulling it out too early? So a, a host of a host of things, but primarily I would say that you've got to also consider the concept of grossing up. And what I mean by that is, if you are taking a military retirement amount that the other person's getting all the tax deductions for, that's a benefit to them. They're going to do their taxes and they're going to owe less in the end because they had money taken out of the check. And they usually are not willing to give it to you, your half of it, because they only got a net amount of money. But we would do a calculation to gross it up. That that $1,500 with the taxes would have given you $2,000 and that $2,000 would have then benefited your taxes and people are often at different tax rates. So whoever makes less money has got the lower tax rate. Why would you want to pay at the higher tax rate? You don't, right? So we have to work through that. And it's not, it's not difficult, but it can be done for, for any given plan. But with TSPs and 401ks, and TSP is a form of a 401k, it's simply easier. The financial world is used to these things, getting flipped out from one party to another and divided um, and doing things right. So um, we usually are talking to somebody's financial advisor when we're talking about breaking these things down into component parts to get to the best deal possible, tax-wise as well as money in your pocket-wise, because the tax bills can be quite painful, especially if you don't know they're coming. Yes, indeed. So, Kate, is there anything else that we need to address kind of specifically? I know we've covered a lot of topics here, but to military divorcing spouses, any, any kind of like closing thoughts? If you don't understand the LES or the DD-214, you've got to have somebody explain it to you. Don't feel that you're being ignorant because you don't know. There is a ton of information on both of those forms, and you need to know what they are. It seems pretty rare that they get them wrong, but don't accept anything as being factually correct. It's your money. It's your future. So you do need to know. Um, and 
the fact that you get the military benefits. If somebody tries to make a deal with you, like, oh, 2020, uh, meaning 20 years in service during the 20-year marriage or t more than 20-year marriage, I'm going to let you have military health care. It's not theirs to give. It's not theirs to give at all. So um, you get that. You get that for having been a military spouse for 20 years during the course of a marriage that was 20 years or longer. So I think it's just really important to understand the different avenues of the benefits. And, and there's some good people in the locality, you know, up at Walter Reed, et cetera, that can help with these things. DFAS is in Indianapolis, but they're a phone call away. They're cooperative. Don't look at trading anything for your 2020. Don't do it. That health insurance is so valuable. The health care is so valuable. Commissary, I'm sure, is great too. Class 6 store, whatever that may be. But the insurance and the coverage that you get with military medical is, is really good. And around here, We've got Fort Balmore with major and specialty clinics, and we've got Bethesda Naval that's now Walter Reed with the same thing, military and specialty benefits. And otherwise, you've got to account for what it's going to cost you to insure yourself. You know, currently around 1500 Could be well higher than that by the time that you need it. But to have it surpass, uh, you know, free is not hard not hard. So I do recommend that. I think it's really an amazing benefit to have. And your children will also have it um, until a certain age. And so that's good. They've mucked around with that a little bit, 24, 26, if they're in school, things like that. Um, so you have to check on that. But um, it's a very valuable, valuable asset, truly is. So let's see, what can I tell you about that? Um, you just pick your battles. I mean, run the numbers, see what the numbers look like. Maybe if it's, you know, nine years of a marriage, maybe a good hunk of a TSP would be just fine. So it's just a choice that you have to make. It just needs to be informed and it's got to have the tax component considered. Yeah, I would I would agree with uh, everything that, that you just talked about. I mean, the healthcare benefit is just huge. And it seems like even if you're divorcing, you, you want the best healthcare for your family, right? And it's it's not money per se out of your pocket, right? It's subsidized by your service in the military. So it I think it behooves everybody to make collectively an, an educated, informed decision about how to continue to, to get healthcare coverage for their family. Obviously, it's a huge topic of concern that people have. And I would just say generally high level, surround yourself with people that, are experts in what it is that you're looking to accomplish because there's a right equation of time in divorce, in my opinion. So you want to put enough analysis into it that you're thorough and you've covered all your bases. You're getting the right documents. You're getting the relevant documents. You're having the professionals that understand how to analyze the documents, look at it, right? But once you've done, done those things, you then have the ability to move forward. Um, I see a lot of people get kind of trapped in divorce back and forth, but it's really just because they, they never felt informed. They never felt like they got the information that they wanted or, you know, somebody was dragging their feet and providing it. So it's a lot of kind of back and forth. And, and to your point, it's going to come out. So it behooves people to just collectively say, what do we need? 
Let's get it together. Let's provide it to the professionals and then let's make a decision because otherwise we're honestly going to just waste time and we're going to waste money going back and forth, collecting documents that are pretty easy to get if, if, <laughs> if somebody tells you what to get, right? I mean, you do the same thing at the end of the year, every year for your taxes. You get the documents that you need to get, you provide them to the person, you try, try to do it quickly so that they can turn around and give you the analysis back. So I would say that that, that is definitely what, I, what I've seen with in dealing with, with people going through divorce as well, is just inform yourself, choose the right people to be your advocates, and then you know feel confident in in moving forward so that you really can move on to your new beginning. So certainly we have talked about a lot of considerations related to military uh, divorces, and you just make sure you got the right on your team that can advise you um, for your specific considerations. And thanks again for joining Kate and me. And uh, we will make sure to provide our contact information if it makes sense to reach out. Okay, well, why don't we just put it out there now so that you have it. Kate Reese, Reese Law, 703-279-5140. And this is a shockingly simple email address. Kate, with a K, at Reese.Law. So I would be happy to work with you and again, work with Leah again. She's, um, she just has done fabulous work in cases that we've had together. Thanks, Kate. And so my information, um, Leah Jones at Hightower Bethesda. And my email is Leah, L-E-A-H dot Jones at Hightoweradvisors.com. Not as easy as Kate's. And you can always reach me at 301-202-3590. 